So welcome back, stranger. Thank you. Who are you? I feel like I've been away for a while. <clears throat> I've done three guest podcasts on the trot, but by popular demand... My, inbo- <laughs> my inbox has been, I've got to say, hard to manage. I know. <laughs> the mail, mailbag has <laughs> been hard to manage. It's been full. But yeah, I appreciate the love and support from everybody. Yeah, Just so you know, big shout out. So it's, a, it's a good old <laughs> Dave and Rich, <laughs> Dick and Dave. Comedy, back, do- comedy double act. Road. Comedy yeah. gold. Now, listeners may also notice that the, it sounds a bit different as well this week. It does. It does. I've, uh, I've bled for my cause today. <laughs> you, you've been wielding the drill. I've been wielding the drill. And we've been hanging up acoustic blankets all around us. So we're getting rid of a bit more of the reverb in the room. It's all part of the uh, continuous improvement journey of the podcast, isn't it? It is. So those, those listeners who have been with us from the start will have noticed some rather seismic changes over the past year or so yeah that's just part of and it is now just over a year last week was the uh, the anniversary of our first one Uh, episode green sitting there scripted yeah it was back in the day and now we just just rock up about it podcast rock stars (laughs) let's start the (laughs) podcast So hello and welcome again to the SME Growth Podcast from Wellmeadow. I'm Dave Parry and back by popular demand is Rich Buckle. Hello, good to be here hello, again. Rich. So here we are again in our weekly set of, uh, I don't know, news and items and bits and bobs that we think might be interesting to small and medium-sized companies looking to grow. And we're now into our second year. Last week's episode was our first anniversary. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? From humble origins. Remember when we set out, we said we've got to at least do 21 episodes. Well, we set out to do three, didn't we? Well, that was the first. (laughs) We set out to do three. I think 90% of podcasts get to three episodes. Yeah, and no further. No further. And then... um, And then wasn't it 99% don't get past 20 episodes? Don't get past 21 or something, or 20, 20, yeah, so we went for 21. Yeah. And now here we are. And it just goes to show if you do something enough times, it becomes habit. And it was, at the beginning, a bit trickier to make sure that we made the time each week to do it, but it's routine yeah. now, isn't it? It's just yeah. part of our, our routine each week, recording uh, podcast. Yeah. It helps us create a load of content, helps us yeah. think about things a bit differently. Yeah. So I thought, <coughs> I mean, today we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, on the selling side of things, there was some interesting research we've been reading recently about what style of selling works better and less well particularly in the professional services sector. But that's triggered some research into B2B as well. So we've got both of those subjects to talk about. But I thought maybe just as um, as we go into our new year, our, our second year, add a new mix up to our format and have a little bit of a business news roundup as part of the, the opening Cue of our the podcast. Uh, jingle music. So, I, th- I mean, there's no point in us trying to recreate what uh, the BBC and, and other outlets do well. But I thought for an SME focus, what matters? <coughs> and the first thing uh, announced this morning, we've got productivity numbers released, which are 0.0000 growth <laughs> for the last quarter. So we're on the very edge of, you know, one month of dipping negative. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be balanced across all sectors. And just after the podcast was recorded last week, the MPC voted to keep interest rates the same. So I think it looks that the higher interest rates at 5.25 seem to be biting and everybody's sort of calming down a little bit. The only thing I balance that with is that in some board meetings recently, whereas there has been a bit of nervousness selling in B2B with customers holding back on purchases, that now seems to be freeing up 
I think people are coming up towards the end of the year, knowing the budget mm. starts again in January, suddenly purchase orders are flowing again. So whilst that data is always backward looking, I think maybe there's a bit more optimism. I heard a similar thing. I was on my monthly call um, with our HubSpot um, consultant yep. lady the day. Mm-hmm. As you know, we are HubSpot partners. <laughs> yeah, HubSpot partners. <laughs> um, but she was saying that a lot of partners are reporting um, kind of quite a bit of growth and new projects coming on board and that seems to be a theme as well so that sort of backs up that it's been a quite a few months but i think it may yeah. be turning so what have you got what uh, news have you heard about um well i just have to flick my phone open to get the to get the stats but i was reading this morning um about if i go to my news page some interesting things around about productivity as well would mm. you would you believe that the cost of scrolling on the phone and checking social media during work hours is costing the UK economy approximately 20 billion 20 in billion. lost productivity. Wow. So that's, that's like half the defence budget or something. We'd have to look that up, but that's, that's a lot, right? That's a lot. So, so what's the solution to that? Do we ban scrolling or do we just accept that that's part of the new normal? Well, I guess it depends what you're looking for, isn't it? I mean, there's a certain, there's a certain element of our jobs where we're checking things out yeah. on phones and things like that researching but, but you get distracted but you get distracted well they said the, the other the distracted economy report reveals that 83 percent of people admit to being distracted during in-person meetings mm. i've got a clue what you just said but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah and, and 85 rising to 85 percent which in during online meetings i mean i would have thought online meetings would have been almost 100 percent but <coughs> If the camera's on or but not. there we go, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's a kind of interesting, hmm. interesting productivity stat interesting, there. Right? Now, the other one I came up with, I think, needs an airing, is the um, strike in America for the Hollywood actors. As looks like it's finally coming to an end. And the bit that caught my eye isn't the billion-dollar extra package for all the background actors and the streaming rights that they were going for, but it's the bit about AI. Okay. And they're very worried that because actors' voices and likenesses can be very readily sampled now and recreated, they were looking for some protection on what happens if their likeness and voice is then used in other productions. Do they still mm. get their royalties for that? So details haven't been released about how they're going to protect that, yeah. but apparently a resolution has been agreed upon, so I look forward to seeing what they do. But I thought that sort of has um, implications for all of us, really. Imagine yeah. if your website output is being sampled and used in some j- chat GPT output or something, or or even your likeness could be used. And someone could be pretending to be Richard Buckle. <laughs> that's terrible giving thought. Terrifying Giving sagely thought. advice on something. Well, I've got someone that's using my dress at the moment to register their car, so <laughs> the saga continues. <laughs> One step away. <laughs> One step away from... Uh, but no, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? And I think it's that, you know, the blurring the lines between what's real and what's not real. Yeah, and I think the biggest yeah. worry that all SME owners have to worry about is the fraud risk. Yeah. If, especially because you and I are putting our voices out on the internet every week like this, then we could easily be sampled. Someone could pretend to be me, ring up our accountant and ask for a bank transfer and possibly do that quite convincingly. They'd have to know the code word though, wouldn't they? Well, we, don't know. we talked about that earlier. It's we need a code word to tell our accountant. Word. Yeah. Um, but you'd have to start thinking about all these new things now. You know, just relying on recognizing a phone number and a voice is no longer enough. And I guess you could even do it with a video call, couldn't you? You could have a Zoom call with somebody. The way it is. The way it is and sample yeah. their image and their voice. And so there's some uh, updates on what's going on in the world. I think we'll bring some more updates on all the various AI things 
every time we see them really because yeah. it's so fast moving we we thought originally we'd do an episode on it every three months or so but it's just too much happens. although i did see something the other day where they were talking about is chat gpt going to kill off all these other ai startups because a lot of ai startups are just a wrapper around mm. open ai's api yeah. Yeah, yeah. and as as OpenAI, ChatGPT, keep building up the capability that's native, mm. then a lot of these other AI well, I'm startups... I'm a plus members now. I'm a plus uh, payer, pay my $10 yeah. or whatever it is a month for ChatGPT, and it now is researching the internet every time you ask yeah. a question. So whereas it used to come up with that annoying, I'm only programmed up until whatever the date mm. was, I think it had got up to January 22 or something. Now it does a live search. So I asked it some questions the other day, and it showed you the list of websites that it was looking up, and then it... Yeah. consolidated all of that input and came up with this answer. We're still not crediting it enough. I think it does it a bit. Mm. But, uh, you know, if it crawls our website and produces something, let's say, on marketing or board meetings, you'd like to think you were getting the credit for having come up with that original content. Yeah, but not. And maybe they will. Okay, good. Um, so what we're going to talk about this week then. You, you kick off because you found this article in um, our favourite publication or one of, fav- them. one of them. Um, yeah, so I was just scrolling through having a coffee the other day reading um, the latest Harvard Business Review, mm. which is a very good publication. Highly recommend. Yep. Um, and I just happened to come across uh, an article about what today's rainmakers do differently. And it's largely focused around kind of business development within professional services firms. Um, and it was just, it was quite interesting to look at it and think, well, there's some things here that as soon as I was, as soon as I read it, I thought, well, there's a couple of things here that I can do personally that I yeah. could change. But also this would be a great topic just to go through on the yeah. podcast because I think it's relevant for a lot of businesses. Well, you got me to read it. And I must admit, I, when I started, I, I absolutely saw what you saw in it, which is it's, it's quite impactful, really, when you think how many people we know sell. Yep. And before anybody listening turns off because they think this is all about professional services, there's an allied piece of research done yep. on B2B selling generally, which I'm also going to refer to from another article that uh, Harvard Business Review published a few years ago. But let's start off with this professional services research then. Yeah, and I think I think it probably applies as well to other SMEs, like you say, but there is that... We've seen it before as well, where... People have spent time honing their skills, getting their expertise, building their client base. And maybe up until five or ten years ago, that that worked well as a strategy to to have that loyal client base and to have that trusted advisor kind of status. And there was there just seemed to be a lot more kind of loyalty maybe within, mm-hmm. within yeah. the world. And and part of the tenant of this article is to say that's changing. Yeah. Um, and, and because of that, the the approach that people have to take to business development has got to change with it. Otherwise, you're going to get left behind. So one of the things that they, to sort of set the scene, they said sort of five years ago, they would say that 76% of buyers prefer to buy from their sort of trusted partner. And that was kind of based on just years of experience and relationship and all of that. Yeah, and if you'd have asked me to guess that number, I'd say that was true today. If you said how mm. many buyers tend to go to their usual supplier yeah at least three quarters i would have thought for for those sorts of services you consider professional so they're saying today that figures down to 53 percent um and they reckon over the next five years that will drop to 37 percent so already the 53 for me was quite a surprise i thought really half of stuff you know if you think about accounting surveying law any consulting of any sort you know that type of all of that 50 percent would would rather scout out and go to tender 
mm. or look out a recommendation for, uh, from another supplier. Supplier. And so I think whilst that may, <coughs> I start thinking about that, and I think, well, all of a sudden everyone starts thinking, oh my goodness, that's, is that a big threat? Well, but sure. I actually it's as much an opportunity. An opportunity. Right? Well, it depends if what type of mindset you are. Yeah. And I think there's a number of firms we know that would definitely should definitely be seeing that as a threat mm. because they're not agile enough yep. and they perhaps you know they're not, not looking at these things. Yep. They only realise too late that the way people buy has changed. But for all those firms out there, of whom I like to think we count ourselves in their number, we are looking at that's a massive opportunity. Absolutely, and I think you know the more you can, you know, not to hark on about AI again, but just have that mindset of what's what's new technology out there. How can you kind of embrace all of this kind of mindset of innovation change you know this this is this is a this is a shifting landscape that we're we're sitting in here yeah. um like we say there was just i i read it and thought yeah there's some there's some really interesting kind of opportunities here for smes maybe i mean a lot of this is maybe talking about larger professional services firms um you know big law mm. firms big accounting firms big uh, consulting firms. So I think for SMEs who have got the right mindset, the right toolkit, the right people around, this now presents some some massive opportunities. You can now break into what you might previously regarded yeah. as a closed shop. Yeah. I mean, if you weren't in that local networking group or you went to the right school or whatever yeah. it may have been, or just having been in business for 20 years, you know, it's kind of stickiness. Yeah. And if that's fading <clears throat> so that new starts can get in and if you've got a better value proposition, you might actually get a hearing, yeah. a hearing. So I suppose, yeah, I suppose you could say you, you, there's now, it, it would appear from just taking this data at face value that you've got, there's an opportunity for SMEs to get their foot in the door, but you've still got to get, you've got to get in the doorway, right? And yeah. that's what the, the article was about. How do you get, yeah, that's right. how do so you get re there? Interesting research then, the way it did it, it, it interviewed 100 C-suite uh, buyers yep. and thousands of professional services partners to work out how they sell what they do. And they, <coughs> by asking lots of questions, they categorized people into one of five types of seller. Mm. To, and they used the, the benchmark that they were trying to find out, uh, trying to get it so that a fifth of their, of their sample population of the partners fell into each of the five. So they're trying to get an equal spread of five types yep. rather than coming up with anything that's too esoteric and unattainable. And the classic one which I recognized first was their first one called The Expert where someone relies on the fact that they've just got very deep knowledge and expertise and experience in a subject. They don't need to really go out there and sell in inverted commas yeah. because their expertise will just get talked about. They won't even necessarily go on LinkedIn and mm. talk about it or, or do seminars. They'll just quietly go, go about their business, doing their work, and the work comes in. Yeah. And as they were saying in those stats, that used to work, yeah. but less so now. Yeah. And that probably accounts for an awful lot of professional service people that we've met over the years just being very good at what you do and not doing any marketing, but they're still busy. And we tend, yeah, that's what you tend to see in, in you know, many professional services or particularly legal firms that we work with is that the busy expert people, people who are good at what they do, yeah. tend to tend to become the partners, don't they? And then, yeah. then that's kind of the, they've that's got all that, to, that's how it works. So, so then I'm tempted to lump the next three together just in the interest of time, but yeah. the other three categories are confidants where they tend to keep their contacts very close to the chairs, don't really mm. share it amongst other parts of the firm and, and build sort of close friendships, yep. that's one. Uh, the debaters who challenge ideas all the time, and they're quite unsettling, um, you know, always questioning the way something is being bought and, and all that sort of thing, yep. fine. And then the realists who say, well, of course, you don't need to use me at all, you don't have to do that if you don't want to, and, and almost unsell the product. Yeah. And all those things, 
uh, similarly to the experts, were all found to be having a negative correlation to eventual outcomes when they did the yep. research. Yep. And I thought that was astonishing. You know, four groups out of five, 80% of the selling styles of professional services ended up being not as powerful as yep. not doing anything at all and nowhere near the fifth one. Fifth one. So what's the fifth one? Fifth one is called the activators. Right. And they are the people that are building their networks predominantly through social media, but also mm. or LinkedIn, things like that, but also looking for those opportunities. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading through it was that just the amount of time, I think a combination of time and discipline in terms of consistency of focus on business development activities. So they're absolutely carving out very, very intentional mm. time during the week to focus on these business development activities. But also yeah. there was a kind of a lot more collaboration with other people. There's none of this kind of, these are my clients, I'm holding them. Yeah, they'd know. rather pass a referral on, even if it's not within their firm. Yeah. And they build it, build up a reputation. And their research showed that for someone who was strong on this scale of the activators, <coughs> they converted 35% more of the opportunities they were faced with yeah. than someone who was maybe an expert or a realist. Yeah. There was another aspect of what they did as well, not just the carving out dedicated time to do networking and getting out there and building the network. But it was that one that really struck a chord when we were discussing it uh, in the kitchen the other day, which is if you read something that's interesting and you know someone in your network that might benefit from that, mm. single them out and send it across to them just yep. as a favor, almost act as their personal curator. So yeah. you take it upon yourself to keep scanning the horizon because they're busy yeah. down in the engine room and send them stuff that only you know that they will be interested in. Don't send them everything. Yeah. And that's the difference between sending a newsletter out to everybody with all of your thoughts and news and updates on it because it's just too much for people to take on board. Get everybody that receives an email from you used to the idea that if you've decided to send an email to them, it's going to be worth reading because yeah. you've thought about it and it's relevant to them. Yeah. Now... There's probably things you can do in your CRM to help you do that. Absolutely. But that sounded like a very powerful approach to me. Yeah, and I think it's, I think that would particularly work for if you had you know, particular people that you were focused on. Um, <coughs> excuse me, choking there. I think the, I think the 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 regular insights newsletters thing is still a good still a good bedrock, isn't it? It's not not mm. to replace that, but there will be people I mean I immediately had two or three people that came to mind when I read this article and mm. thought this would be a great thing to send them because it's yep. absolutely relevant to their to their situation yeah um, and then it, it's just another way of building trust isn't it and another way of, of, of looking saying look if you get an email from me you know that this is going to be something that's worthwhile yep. opening yeah and it's I think it's not just about um, some of the some of the examples in the article were not just around emails but curating um experiences as well yeah so good. you know visits to there's a visit to an r&d factory um that yep. that was just generated through commenting on um social media uh, linkedin yep. posts someone else's linkedin. Someone yep. linkedin start commenting build that relationship and then that led to an invite to an r&d factory which led to a massive contract and you know not everything is going to yeah, I think I think really the, the 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 focus here should be on the spirit of helping other people. I think if you're just doing this to think, well, actually, the end result is 
I can get a sale out of someone. This yeah. this whole process just becomes quite manipulative, really. Yeah. Whereas if you actually think, you know what, we can all help each other here. Like I'd love to get an article from someone that's this, this would be really relevant for your business. Great. Well, if it, if, share it the love. if they do it well enough that you really think that they've thought about you in that moment, then you're naturally going to feel a stronger relationship yeah. with that person. You you want to pay that back somehow. Yeah. You want to at least acknowledge it. You know that's how you build relationships, isn't it? Yeah. So so I think there was yeah there was there was quite a few. You know, there was three sort of areas they talked about to, to look at this, and it was one was around committing. So, you know, that whole piece around actually set aside the time to work on business mm. development rather than it becoming, you know, I th- and I guess whilst it's not necessarily business development, that's sort of what we've done with the podcast, isn't it? We have actually carved out time and said, right, we are going to be We're committed. probably more disciplined <laughs> than we ever thought we <coughs> would be. Yeah. But once you get into the rhythm of doing it, it becomes natural. Well, I, I, I think you're the same. I can't believe we've managed to do it for a year. No. I thought we might get to the 21 and think that's just been too disruptive, getting in the way of everything else. Yeah. And yet the feedback we've had from it, from everybody listening to it, has been enough to make us want to carry on. It's yeah. been very positive. Yeah. So, so committing is, is definitely... Committing is I that. See that you know, making those connections with people, you know, LinkedIn, networks, that type of thing, actually yeah. being present and then... You know, creating creating opportunities through either sending invites to people for events or here's an interesting article, those sorts of things. So that kind yeah. of model of commit, connect, create. Create value, yeah. So I want to try and draw the parallels <coughs> between that now and then the B2B research that yeah. the Harvard Business Review has also done. Because like you say, a lot of what you just talked about really applies across businesses anyway. It doesn't have to be just mm. professional services. I think it's just true that some of the characters that they identified in their model are more prevalent in professional services. You yep. have that deep expert who just waits for the phone to ring yep. and the and the referrers and that type of thing. In B2B, they did a slightly different research uh, based on the fact that they realized that most designing of solutions these days was being done before you contact a supplier. Okay. So whoever's got the problem, rather than ringing up a suite of suppliers saying, how would you suggest I solve this problem? And then, of course, they're engaged with you. There's probably enough out there online. You've got a pretty good guess. You can do a bit of research yourself oh. and design it. Now, that's not always the case. But if that is the case, then the traditional B2B selling model of being the solution designer goes out the window. Because mm. your value used to be, tell me a problem, I'll understand it, and then I'll come back with you with the solution. Yeah. So if they're already going out there with, I've got this problem, and I know this is my solution, can you provide it? Mm they're getting down the road of commoditizing what everybody does. Yeah. So this solution designer doesn't really have the same effect anymore. So instead, they talk about the fact that you need a very different approach to selling B2B. Yeah. And they come up with a really decent model, actually. And um, we'll probably put a link to it on the website yeah. so that people can see it. It's a kind of a flowchart. And they talk about the most successful salespeople are deliberately looking for disruptors. So if you've got someone who's already got a very stable buying process, they're putting the hard yards in of solution design, mm. and they're really just looking for someone to do exactly what they say, almost like a make to print in engineering yeah. terms, then there's going to be a lot less opportunity for you to add value anyway, mm. and it's going to be harder for you to distinguish yourself with the other people out there that make contact. Yeah. Whereas if as a salesman, you ask questions at the beginning that work out, is somebody open to radical new ways of doing things? And if at that early stage, you know, they are or they're not, focus your efforts accordingly. Mm. So deliberately put stuff out there that's challenging the status quo. You start using AI in ways that maybe is a bit on the edge at the moment, but show what's possible. Challenge some received wisdoms. You know, challenge how you do an exhibition or yeah. how you should use your CRM or how you should use their product. 
And then the okay. ones that you get that that resonates with, they're more likely to be people inside a company that want to listen to new ways and then they're going to follow you and, you know, potentially you'll get... Almost switch horses type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they do this flowchart of asking, you know, if does somebody respond well when you put something provocative out there? And if they have some sort of healthy skepticism about it, that's a good start. But if they don't really want to engage too much, then they're likely to be going mm. to the deprioritize pot. And even those that do show an interest, try and gauge what their communication style is because some of them might just be learning for academic purposes right. and wanting to do the same themselves and teach others which is fine, keep them nurtured, but they're not likely to have opportunities straight away yeah. that you can deal with. Whereas those that want to try stuff, they want to get better, they want to improve, they almost want to, if it ain't broke, break it mentality, yeah. then they're the ones you've got to go and see confined because that's where mm. their, their research showed that you're going to have much more success. So I thought that was a really interesting parallel to the professional services firm one, yeah. which is very different traditionally guarded, keep your contacts close, just be an expert. And instead of that, finding, you know, almost being that curator for your contact yeah. database and helping them. It's now the parallel in the, in the B2B world is throw some controversial stuff out there, show that you're thinking differently to everybody else, and then see who you find is like-minded. Yeah, well, that's very interesting, that, isn't it? I think it's, um, yeah, again, it's that, it's that challenge and opportunity, isn't there? To say, how do, how do we... How do you show that you think differently? Mm. How do you show that actually there may be another way of solving this problem? Or because, yeah. like I say, it's just so there's so much information out there now. You've got to you've got to almost stay ahead of that. I think you have to have a mentality as well that your market is infinite. Now, of course, it isn't. No, one, no one's market is infinite, but there's a lot of people out there that could well be buying what you do that you're not even talking to at the moment, mm. and you're not even going to be getting close to talking to them if you're spending all your time talking to the wrong people. Yeah people that aren't going to buy from you so what they say is one of their sort of headline bylines in the in the article is don't try and sell to talkers people who just want to talk about it all the time they're going to sap your time <clears throat> so this goes back to the discovery call podcast we did a few weeks ago early on in your discovery process try and work out is somebody just going to take up a lot of your time and not go anywhere you need yeah. to fail fast if you can disqualify people so they may be very interested in what you're talking about but only like i said earlier from that point of telling other people mm. about it or to find ways of picking holes in your argument or to object to it. Well, you've got to un identify that early on, otherwise you'll spend a lot of energy finding out the hard way. I just think about that as well. I mean, not harking on about our own podcast journey or whatever, but but having those channels or having those kind of things like a podcast where you, you can almost, it's not quite a conversation, but you know, rather than having spending all that time talking to everybody, so if you've got a mechanism within the business, like a podcast or some other form of blog or something, where you can showcase expertise, people get to know you and all of that, you can then maybe short circuit some of you know you can get to the the heart of it when you're talking about a discovery call. You haven't almost got to spend mm. so much time building relationships with people who are just going to you know your talkers, as it were, because you can say, well, look, we've got a load of you know you want to get to know us. Look at the podcast. Like, look at the videos. Look at the website. Look at the blogs. Look at all this other stuff. Well, it's the whole point of inbound marketing, isn't it? The yeah. idea is the contacts are pre-qualified. They've that, read yeah. your stuff. They know what you're talking about. That's you have to tell me about it. Let's yeah. get on with it. And then let's get on with it, and you know, cut to the chase. So, mm. so I guess yeah, encouragement to do more of these sorts of things, isn't it? If you're an SME business owner, just yeah. 
do this stuff. And but even just thinking whether you agree with these characterizations that they've come up with, thinking about what style of seller are you and those around you? Mm. Who is more successful? Who is less successful? What approach are they taking? Yeah. Is it just that the more successful ones are working harder? Because the chances are that isn't going to be the most likely answer. It's going to be that they're doing it differently. Mm. <coughs> yeah. At least if you've got that mindset and you're always looking not just within your own organization, but outside and in others, what's working for them? Yeah. And maybe some of these ideas, even if you're not sure you agree with them or not, they fit into that category of it's a bit disruptive as an idea. Go and try it. Go and try, try it. Try yeah. it for yourself, see if it works. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Be agile. Be agile. <coughs> so there you go. That's um, a good little summary of different selling styles in professional services and B2B. And we started off with our new feature of a little bit of small business news. Small business news, yep. Stay off the phones, people. Yeah. Unless you're listening to the SME Growth Podcast, <laughs> in which case. <laughs> well, you can just listen. You don't have to scroll. Exactly. Stop the doom scrolling, though. £20 billion pounds a year or whatever. And that's just in work time. Imagine what you could be doing. So thank you very much again for listening to or watching the SME Growth Podcast from Wellmeadow. Every week we try and come up with some interesting stuff for various small, medium-sized businesses. And sometimes we have guests, and sometimes, like this week, we're just sharing with you some research that we found. So I hope you enjoyed that. Please tell your friends that we're here. Share and uh, click the bell icon on your podcast platform so you know when the next one is dropping. And in the meantime, good luck with your business.